ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. We're going to dance. We're going to dance. We're going to dance and have some fun. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. All right. Wow. We've made it to 1990. <laughs> Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. How are you, Chad? I'm uh, doing okay, <laughs> all things considered. <laughs> well, it's been, uh, it's been a while since our last show. When was the, when was the last time? we? Uh, it was like a month ago, right? Yes, man, I think right around a month. Uh, so uh, the month of July just completely disappeared for me because I took a vacation and it's our uh, year end at work. So it's been hectic and relaxing. Um, so. Well, I also took a vacation as well. I went to the, uh, what, you know, I had that trip planned across the, uh, across the south there. Right. Um, well, I couldn't go on that. So we ended up going to the Maldives. Um I say ended up. The Maldives is a very nice place. It's like a kind of, uh, you know, paradise island type thing. We were on a place with, uh, uh, you know, the palm trees, the blue sky. It was really nice there. Nice. Uh, and uh, I just want to picture the scene, Chad, right? <laughs> I got my wife sunbathing somewhere to my left in her bikini. Uh, beautiful kind of coral reef and sea in front of me. Um, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, sun beating down <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my laptop watching a Doug Summers shoot interview <laughs> <laughs> um, but there we are I, I don't really like the heat um, and uh, I don't know if you know but in the UK at the moment we're facing a heat wave um, so it's currently uh, well it's just coming up to midnight and it's 30 degrees Celsius which is about 
86 degrees Fahrenheit here. Mm, nice. That's pretty hot. Um, and uh, because the UK is not used to this sort of weather, there's uh, been a run on fans and air conditioning units and things, so you can't buy them anywhere, not in the shops, nor on the internet. No, they're sold out everywhere. So. Do you have an air conditioner in your uh, flat? No, not at all. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, it's, that'd be brutal. We are not uh, equipped for extreme weather in the UK. Um, not for anything apart from generally rainy and cloudy. We we're not deal, we're not set up to deal with it basically. Um, mm. So I am literally sitting here uh, dripping with sweat. So yeah. there we are. Um, how was your holiday? Good. Yeah, it was good. I uh, went on a cruise. That was the first time I've been on a cruise, but I uh, had a great time. That's nice. Would you, uh, did that have uh, all-inclusive food? Yeah, it's uh, all-inclusive food, and then uh, me and my wife ended up buying the uh, drink package that they offered. So, uh, like I said, I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> we did exactly the same thing on our uh, on our island in the Maldives, uh, all-inclusive food and drink. And yeah. uh, I have to say, Chad, I put on a stone. That's uh, 14 pounds in your money. <laughs> Um, fourteen pounds, uh, in a, in just over a week. So yeah, I'm a I'm a uh, a big guy myself. I've uh, actually been losing a little weight and was in the mix of a uh, weight loss competition at work. So uh, going on the cruise kind of put me out of contention for winning that. <laughs> uh, I gained about six pounds. So well, I've been on a weight loss kick this week. Um, and the uh, well, the weather is I don't know if it's helping or not, but being this hot, it does kill your appetite. Um, so, shall we get into Clash of the Champions 10? I've got some uh, Meltzer and some Soli here. Okay. Shall we start with the Meltzer? There's quite a lot of Meltzer. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's good that there's quite a lot of this stuff, because I, uh, I think this may be one of our sh- shorter shows, Chad. I say that. Uh, probably as far as wrestling analysis is concerned, um, <laughs> I would I would guess. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra with Dave Meltzer. So this is the January eighth uh, newsletter, um, and there's a lot of stuff about Vince's struggles with uh, pay-per-view carriers in this particular newsletter. Um, the future of the AWA hangs in the balance as ESPN might be pulling the plug on their TV. Uh, they've only been running studio TV tapings and occasional spot shows for the past few months. However, there are rumors that someone at ESPN did a U-turn and gave them another six months. And uh, I'm guessing they're still in those TV tapings are in Las Vegas, right? Some of those shows are brutal hey. in terms of low attendance. Right. <laughs> I know the I know the ones. Uh, there were some in early '90 that were in Vegas. I don't know if they ever uh, drifted away from there or not. I'm not positive. So, what do, do you know? I mean, you've seen later on in uh, 1990. Did they stick with ESPN? Do they still have TV all the way through to the end of the year? Uh, I mean, I, I actually don't know because on the uh, on the yearbook, you know, 1990 AWA apparently is. Uh, so uh, pretty putrid on the yearbook. We only got a couple of matches on it. Right. Um, just didn't make the cut, right? Yeah. So we had a. I know we had an early uh, tag match that included like the trooper, and then 
I think there was that uh, the the Zabisco race match that was like the last um, the last kind of AWA title change. I want to say that's August. Uh, if you go on a little bit, I can look that up in the listings here. But I want to say that was the end of uh, August when that happened. Okay. Uh, yep, yep. Larry Zabisco versus Harley Race, uh, 827, 1990. And I'm not positive. I can't really remember offhand whether that was at the showboat or not, but uh, that really felt like the last absolute stand of, uh, of the AWA of any relevance. I think they did hang around to maybe even the very beginning of 1991 as far as being an organization, but uh, I'm not positive when they actually ran their last show. And that's a uh, post-injury Harley race as well there uh, in 1990. So uh, they're kind of, uh, I don't want to say they're scraping the barrel with him, but, you know, that's kind of, like if that's the best they can get for their main event. Because uh, Harley's not quite the same after his injury, is he? Well, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, he had a, that kind of fun match at Great American Bash 1990, which we'll get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's not a terrible match, but that certainly, I mean, that was presented as a Legends showcase match of, uh, felt kind of like one of the slamboree type Legends matches that WCW had run in the early 90s. So for right. him to go from that type of match in WCW, which we all know they didn't exactly have the, uh, the best attendance record in 1990 to, you know, competing for the world championship. He certainly was not a main event level person. Well, and he's a manager like the year after, right? So. Right. Yeah. By, uh, I mean, I know by Luger's heel run in 1991, he's a manager. So it, about a year. Um, Jake Roberts was denied retrial for beating up some dude in Daytona beach, despite the judge admitting that his lawyer put up a woeful defense. Oh God. <laughs> So uh, there we are. Um, Kendall Windham and his father, Blackjack Mulligan, yeah. were arrested for trying to pass counterfeit $20 bills. Right. <laughs> and I think there's more on that story to come. So we'll uh, we'll save it for that. Um, the Rock and Roll Express are back in the NWA and apparently got over really well. Meltzer says they've been working very hard because, and I quote, this is their last chance to make money in the wrestling business. Um uh, that's more or less true, isn't it? This is kind of their last big run. Well, they uh, they had the run in Smoky Mountain. So, um, yeah. I mean, big time. I'm talking big time. Uh, 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 they were probably... There's some Smoky Mountain cards that outdrew WCW. Okay. I mean, you know... No, 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 no. I, t- I take it. Like in the... Yeah, I mean, like in the Knoxville, like in 90, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of tough because you do associate uh, WCW, you know, I mean, they did have a big crowds in the 80s and they uh, certainly had, you know, the big run with the NWO and all that. But yeah, from 90 to 94, there's a lot of kind of those 1200, 1700 type of attendance figures. Uh, where there, I know there is has been some research done that shows like how the Smoky Mountain would outdraw them around the Tennessee Georgia area in now, points. Now, Chad, are you saying that for a period in the early nineties that Smoky Mountain was the number two promotion in the United States? Ooh, I don't know if I'd ever Mountain was the number two promotion only because they didn't have the uh, national syndication. Right. You know, by that time. WCW would have been national and would have uh, 
would have had uh, pay-per-views, obviously, that were national. But uh, 93, I think there's uh, there's a little diciness in some of 93. I mean, right. I, I think I think early to mid 93, you could make a case that at that point, Smoky Mountain was kind of uh, the number two for a short window. But c- coming back to Meltzer's point, there's no way Rock and Roll Express would be making the same sort of money at Smoky Mountain than they would be at WCW, right? Uh, more than likely, I would not think so. No. Um. Uh, a person that uh, Meltzer calls Mean Mark Calloway debuted, yeah. um, who will replace Sid in the skyscrapers. More on him in a bit. Arn Anderson won the TV title from the Great Muta. Jim Hurd wants the belt to go to Lex Luger. Um, uh, we'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, in fact, there's quite a few talking points later on uh, for us to discuss in terms of... Uh, face and heel turns and various shenanigans going into 1990. Um, the 7'6 Argentinian basketballer George Gonzalez will apparently be introduced at Clash 10. <laughs> and I've just written, written in my notes, this did not happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Gary Hart has been fired. Melter doesn't really provide any details for why. Um, apparently they were going to bring in Pat Tanaka, uh, but the WWF nabbed him to make their lives miserable and our buddy lost uh, Charles mentioned this on the board recently as well um, so yeah we can talk more again when we get to uh, the uh, the main event but um, Gary Hart he's been I, I suspect he doesn't come back now Chad uh, any final thoughts on him yeah I don't think we'll see him again um, I mean <laughs> I think Gary Hart's a kind of weird guy. That's kind of the first thing that comes to mind, both in a managerial sense and uh, he's uh, sort of a guy I don't quite understand, I guess, his psyche and a lot of what he does. Uh, I mean, I don't think he was the worst manager we saw, but I didn't think he was very... I mean, I think probably the late 89 stuff was probably the best we saw of him, but uh, I still didn't think it was top end or nothing. Yeah, well, as I said on the uh, boards recently, I, I just don't understand JTEX Corporation and what it's meant to be. I don't understand it at all. Like, what is Gary Hart's motivation? Like, why is he... <laughs> why is he, like, supporting Japanese dudes? Are they paying him off or, like, what's the... <laughs> yeah, and, and Buzz Sawyer. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty weird, eclectic bunch uh, in his stable. It's, uh, it's a bit strange. Yeah. Um, is like Buzz Sawyer or like an oil tycoon or something? I don't, I don't know I don't, what. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Tuddy Blanchard is talking about suing the NWA over turning their back on the deal they'd agreed. Do you know anything about this? Uh, Tuddy, uh, he was due. Yeah, to I don't back. know anything specifically about the lawsuit. I, I, you know, of course, I know that he were not was not hired because of the drug test and whatever else, but. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think in 1990, totally would have been fun. But yeah, he pretty much, uh, that was, like we said before, 89, when he left WWF, that was pretty much it for him as a mainstream wrestler. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. He, he kind of like finished his career almost, I don't want to say at a peak, but he finished, um, he finished, like we never got to see Tully decline as a worker, which, is, which may be one of the reasons why we all think of him so highly like we didn't yeah i mean he's just not active for that long when you think about it i mean when you get down 
down to it, you really only have footage wise like nineteen eighty three to nineteen eighty nine of him. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's you know, that's a six year run. That's pretty brief. No I heard that his like southwestern stuff in that uh outlaw promotion that they have down there right. is really good. That's what I've heard. On the grapevine. I've, I've never seen any of that. Uh, I would expect some of that to pop up in the territory set. But yeah, I've never seen any uh, Southwestern Joe Blanchard promoted stuff. Yeah, well, I, I know they're including some of it in the uh, in one of the upcoming 80 sets. So I look forward to that. Because um, like, I, I haven't even seen like a minute of that of that promotion. Yeah, that that and uh, Continental, the uh, Alabama promotion, are probably the two... Uh, Two promotions in the territory set I'm most looking forward to because, yeah, they kind of have, uh, especially Continental, has a lot of cool type stuff that you hear about, and I've never seen any of it. So, I, I, Personally, I'm looking, I'm quite looking forward to seeing some uh, Georgia stuff whenever they get around to it because, you know, looking at the Georgia cards, I, I know um, we don't have all of it, but some of those uh, Georgia cards, Chad, have got, like, it's like they were able to cherry pick all the talent because they had the uh, the TV spot for so long. Uh, so if you look at some of those Georgia cars, they're, they're really uh, quite interesting in terms of a mix of guys. Yeah, I think that's just a... Uh, I, I do know, you know, I've done some research on that, and that I think mostly those going to be a case of disappointment because we don't have hardly any footage of some of those, like, Armney supercars or nothing. Uh, with Ollie taping over it or whatever. Yeah. Um, Jim Hurd, still with the same newsletter, it was quite a, quite a stack one. Um, Jim Hurd has decided that he didn't like how the Ironman tournament came across, and so was scrapped plans for any more. Yeah. So there we are. Um, no more tournaments in Starcade. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, January the 15th. Uh, the counterfeiting ring that the Wyndhams were involved with printed over 1.2 million in fake money. So there we are. Uh, so they're all off to jail. Um, yeah, that's an interesting story. I've always kind of been fascinated by that story of uh, Kendall and Blackjack uh, going off to jail and Barry kind of, I guess, having to come home and maintain the home front. And then he ends up signing with uh, WCW again, which we'll see. But uh, as we go through the shows in 1990, he doesn't do a whole lot um, up until... Uh, Halloween Havoc. Yeah. But Barry himself didn't get involved in uh, the counterfeit. Yeah, Barry was not indicted or nothing uh, for that. So, So, I mean, I always hear that Blackjack Mulligan made good money and that he, like, did he need to be doing this? Like, clearly he did. Clearly he did need to be doing it, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, Maybe he was doing it for his son. Maybe Kendall decided, right, I'm I'm just not going to make it as a wrestler, so counterfeiting $20 bill, that's where the money's really out. Um, now, get this, the first ever pro wrestling uh, match took place in the Soviet Union. Hmm. Um, that's uh, January the 15th, 1990. For a place that produced so many great wrestlers, <laughs> um, I'm a bit surprised at that. Yeah, that seems bizarre. Uh, of course, none of the Russians that we know as Russian were Russian. Right. P- pretty much none of them. Um the cage match at Clash 10 will be in the bloodless TBS cage. 
which did actually answer a question that I had when I was watching it, which is why is that cage so weird? Apparently that's the uh, the bloodless TBS cage. Yeah, it almost kind of looks like a little bit of a version of the uh, WWF uh, Blue Bar cage. I think it's a cage that they use for production enhancement because the bars are a little bit wider so you can actually uh zoom in you know the scope and see through the bars but uh you know i, I don't not, know i'm not actually that against that cage i, I don't mind uh the, the, that style of cage any any thoughts so yourself i'm not i'm not i don't really have a big offense to it uh Anytime. I mean, the only cages that I don't really like are the type of kind of Thunderdome cages that WCW did, just because they're so big and uh, it's tough to kind of get a big effect from slamming somebody into those type of cages. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, what was that uh, triple cage thing they did? Yeah, the Tower of Doom. Yeah, that can go too. That was a cluster, but... Um. Middle Mascaris is being brought in for one day in a bid to draw Hispanic fans. Uh, more on that later. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, such a big fan of Middle Mascaris, me. Um, hints of a, an eventual Sid Baby face turn on TV uh, around this time, since Teddy Long is running him down for being injured. Uh, so a bit of foreshadowing. Um, then, 22nd of January. The New Jersey State Commission will no longer regulate pro wrestling after the WWF basically admitted that it wasn't a real sport. Now, I actually thought that this is quite interesting. Um, given that we know Vince has always been at pains to call it sports entertainment these days. Do you think this has got something to do with it? This uh, legal status of not being a real sport that they have to kind of make a point that it's not real in some way? Well, yeah, that was part. I mean, this was the first, I guess, sort of public you know, in the legislature system where Vince admitted that it was a work. Uh, So this is, in some ways, you know, I mean, of course, everybody by this time knew what the deal was, but uh, on paper, this was kind of a watershed moment um, with that. Right. So, I mean, I'm wondering if uh, the the legacy, like, ultimately, the the journey that this starts ends up with this uh, term that we have now, this sports entertainment um because uh you know i watch those legends of wrestling shows quite like I, i've been re-watching them recently right and, uh, it's always interesting on there like michael hayes always makes a point of calling them uh, sports entertainers rather than wrestlers it never sounds very natural but uh like the, the, the as i understand it on current wwe they never use the word wrestler right it's always sports. uh yeah it's kind of like a band word yeah um I know on this uh, newsletter that the Iron Sheik is still on the roster doing jobs to Norman. Did you notice that? <laughs> uh, but so, as I understand that he's not on TV at this point. He's just kind of on house shows and whatnot doing uh, jobs like that. Um, then your buddy Chad, Joe Pedicino, mm-hmm. get, gets engaged to Bonnie Blackstone. Right. Which is, uh, congrats to him. Um, George Gun- George Gonzalez uh, won't be de- debuting for a while now because he's been diagnosed with sugar diabetes. I shouldn't sure. laugh at that. It's quite serious. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's got diabetes, so maybe we won't be seeing him for a while. 
Um, uh, don't hold your breath on that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Couple uh, well, shows. He makes a glorious appearance. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm doing the show as if like I don't know what happens in night and night okay. and stuff. I'm gonna pretend. Okay. I, <laughs> um, there was a plan to bring in uh, Japanese women wrestlers, but the committee is next the idea. So uh, so there we go. It doesn't actually say which uh, women wrestlers. I can only imagine it was the jumping bomb angels. Uh, by this time it may. Have, I mean, I don't know if it had been them or if it had been. Uh, I think they'd done retired. Yeah, it had been like probably a Toyota and that group. Uh, maybe Aja Kong, uh, Bull Nakano, but uh, pro- probably some of those. Yeah. Do you think they would have uh, worked if they'd come in? I always think it looks kind of weird when they. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'd have been a big difference one way or the other. But as far as that quality standpoint on a card it you know that'd been kind of cool february the second Meltzer reports that titan have signed mike tyson to referee a match between hogan and savage right on the 23rd this is an nbc special stage in detroit i i've, I've written here i'm guessing this never happened but hold your breath on that because uh, there's lots more yeah 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 <laughs> february the t- um so <laughs> This is quite entertaining because <laughs> Meltzer uses William the Refrigerator Perry's fee from WrestleMania 2 as a benchmark and then speculates on what Tyson's might have cost for this show. Um, and then he goes off on a very long tangent about how T- Hogan versus Tyson might compare to Ali versus Inoki. Um, I think that sort of thing is really fun to read in the Observers if you ever get the chance. Uh, it's just like I, I, I am always entertained by uh, Meltzer's speculations, um, especially like from his 1990 mindset. So right. It's, it's very fun to look at. Um, now, the way that Meltzer is going on about the, this Detroit card, it sounds like one of the biggest nights in wrestling history. I mean, he's really excited about it. He thinks it's going to be like, you know, a night to match WrestleMania 1. He goes on about the impact it's going to have on the NWA. He calls it one of Vince's greatest coups as a promoter ever. Um, so, like, he's amped in this uh, February the 2nd newsletter. Um, Eddie Gilbert uh, was said to be resigning, but that hasn't happened yet. And then get this. So, maybe even still on his honeymoon, Joe Pedicino quit the promotion <laughs> after being asked to turn heel and refusing. <laughs> now, 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 this is something I wanted your... Cause <laughs> There's a line in the Meltzer here that um, doesn't mean a lot to me, but maybe it will mean more to you. He says, the character would have been a Joe Isutsu constant liar, a Geraldo Rivera sensationalist, and a brother love type. Uh, Any idea who those characters are? Joe Isutsu. How do you spell that? I-S-U-Z-U. Uh, no, I don't know who that is. Geraldo, though, you know, was the talk show host around that time as a kind of investigative uh, type uh, talk show host. But I, I, I kind of don't get where the mold, uh, melding of Geraldo with Brother Love comes <laughs> into play. But uh, Well, uh, Pedicino did not like the idea and, uh, and quit. Now, apparently, Pedicino had a lot of tension with Jim Ross backstage. Uh, which was another reason for his quitting. So I, I, I just wondered here whether Jim Ross just didn't like the idea of another 
quite fat guy in the company. <laughs> okay, now I'm looking up Joe Izuzu. Yeah. He's a fictional spokesperson used in the television advertisement for Izuzu cars. So, yeah, that would have been... Uh, you did, I mean, I'm sure those were pretty big around that time. So, yeah, that was uh, Joe Itsuzu. How do you say it again? Izuzu. Izuzu, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was a pretty, uh, I, I think that was probably one of those references that you had to really be in, around in 1990 to get. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I was around in 1990. I was a bit older than you, but I, uh, I was uh, several thousand miles away. So my memories of the adverts would have been uh, rather different. Uh, <laughs> the booking committee uh, is now mainly Flair, Cornette and Kevin Sullivan, with Jim Ross producing the TVS show. And Terry Funk producing the syndicated shows, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the announcing lineups are Ross and Soli on Friday on Power Hour, Cornette and Ross on Saturday doing WCW and Worldwide. WCW is the show that becomes Saturday night a bit later on. And then Ross and Missy Hyatt on the Sunday uh, on the main event. Apparently, there was a plan to give Ross Fridays off. Uh, but the idea of Cornette and Soli together had disaster written all over it. Um, so you can imagine... Uh, <laughs> can you imagine Cornette and Soli together? I think it'd be quite fun. Yeah, that seems like an interesting pairing. Uh, I don't know how that worked out, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. So I, my question is, where are Bob Codlin and Lance Russell at this stage then? Does that mean they've passed pasture? Or? Um... I don't know about Coddle. I think Coddle is gone by this point. Uh, Lance, Lance is somebody that I get constantly confused with his timeline because I know he bounced back to Memphis uh, at some point around this, but I'm not positively sure. Now I think he would still be there though by now. I I think he might be doing like some bullshit like the radio or you know hotline or some. Yeah, I seem to remember watching on the 90-year book that they said something like he would call the matches live and you could call the hotline Yeah, and listen to him call the match, which I found very strange, like somebody that would spend 99 cents, uh, you know, a minute to listen to play-by-play of house show matches. But I do, I do definitely remember uh, that in one of the 1990 matches. So th- this is going to be a theme of the next decade for WCW, right? You can see Turner burning money here. Like, they've got Lance Russell sitting there doing nothing. I bet he's taking home good money as well. <laughs> and he's like, that's his job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they've got all these people who are... Who... Yeah, well, yeah, they just stockpile certain people, and there's no... I mean, the announcing grouping they had right now has been very strong, I've thought, in the past year. But besides Ross being the central person, I guess, behind all of it, there's been sort of a rotating chair of color guys. And that, that's one thing you can say with the WWF, uh, you know, up until now. They really, you know, what you think about Jerry Lawler as an announcer uh, today. Yeah. I mean, he's been sitting in that raw chair for over 15 years now. So he's a constant person that when you tune in Monday night, you know you're going to hear his voice. 
so they really are able to kind of make you feel comfortable with who you're listening to announcing. And WCW has always sort of had kind of even, you know, even in the Nitro era when they'd have Tanay for half the show, Heenan for half the show, uh, when Mongo was in the booth. I mean, they've had a wide variety of kind of people coming in and out. Yeah, but like it, right now at this point in 1990, they've got Missy Hyatt co co presenting main event with the Lance Russell right. sitting there doing nothing. It's like right. it's really bizarre. All right, uh, Sid is due back in June, uh, and when his contract is uh, up, many people think he's off off up north. Um, well, and I can see why they would think that as well. Sure. February the 5th, like I said, there's quite a lot of Meltzer here, so uh, I'll I'll try to get through it as fast as I can. Uh, Meltzer is excited about the fact that Vince and Giant Barber shook hands in the middle of the ring to co-promote a card in Japan in April. It marks the first time that Vince has, has worked with another company for a long time. Not only that, though, this will also be co-promoted by New Japan 2 in a kind of three-way promoted card, which sounds very interesting. Yeah. He talks about the consequences of this for the NWA, <laughs> as always. Uh, he says that they blew it with Tenryu last year, um, if you recall that brief run, um, and Flair had to pull out of a recent Tokyo card too. So they let this slip to Vince even though the Japanese fans would probably prefer to see NWA wrestlers to WWF ones. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, as far as the Japan relationship? Yeah. I I mean, I like that show. Uh, I mean, that's the April uh, 1990 show. Uh, I think that's a very fun show. It has the... Uh, Ultimate Warrior Ted DiBiase match, which I loathe. But uh, besides that, you have a Tenru versus Savage, which is a load of fun, uh, and then Hogan versus Hanson, which is a match I really like. And then also the, uh, I guess, kind of infamous uh, Masawa Bret Hart draw, which uh, was not a very good match at all. Right, and uh, did you think that uh, Melt is right that the uh... This is something that the NWA like blue that like the, that could have been them in that spot. I mean, I don't know about blue because I mean, the only person I really see being truly marketable, honestly, is Muda, and they've had him. And I mean, you know, it doesn't. I mean, they definitely protected him up until Starcade. And it doesn't look like he exactly set the business world on fire. You know what I mean? I mean, he was a key player for a lot of 1989 NWA, but uh, I, I don't think you can point to him as improving attendance. I think that can certainly be pointed to Flair and Funk. Wasn't wasn't Flair quite a quite a kind of over guy in uh, in Japan? Like he, he'd obviously been there as the champ many times. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely established in Japan, but uh, yeah. yeah. The only, of course, they had Terry Funk as well working for them at this point, so maybe right. they could have pulled him out too. Um, now it appears that uh, El Gigante was a failed experiment, and we won't be seeing him after all. <laughs> if only. Uh, um, and uh, the other thing to mention about the February fifth newsletter is that there's a lot of marking out in general from Meltzer about uh, Cactus Jack Manson's bumping in these reports. 
Meltzer comments, Manson's bumps were so far out of this world that one wonders how his career will ever last much longer before he's in traction for a lifetime. Quite interesting reading that in 1990. Right. Um, February the 12th. <laughs> There's absolutely loads more Tyson talk now. Uh, I won't go into it all. Um, writing a day before Clash 10, Meltzer has a late report that Tully Blanchard should be debuting. Now that didn't happen, did it, Chad? No. Apparently, no. Blanchard was offered 156 grand a year. Don't expect uh, Ole to wrestle anymore. The front office want him out of the ring. Uh, is another thing that he's written here. And apparently, it has emerged that Joe Pedersino quitting has more to do with heat with Flair than with Ross. Now, uh, in my notes here, Chad, I've uh, said. Who was Meltzer's infor- informant from the office there? Was it Jim Ross or was it Jim Cornette? Was it both of them? It's, it's one of those two, right? That's, that's uh, the guy. Well, yeah, I mean, I would I would certainly think they were one of them, but neither has been, I mean, of course, he won't confirm it, but, it's, it's It's never been confirmed which one of those two it was. I, I mean, I certainly think it can be confirmed that Cornette, at least at certain points in time, was very, uh, very close with Meltzer, you know, would yeah. talk to him. But uh, I, I don't know at this particular point. Yeah, I, I've got a funny, like, just be, just because um, there's that, like, little bit of clarification there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Actually, it wasn't, uh, it's not Ross who's got heat with him, it's Flair. Like, yeah. I, I can imagine Jim Ross giving him a call and uh, saying, you know, who knows? Who knows? Just uh, just speculation. But uh, I, I get the impression that um, there, there has to be somebody close to the office feeding him that information. Uh, well, it could possibly be Flair himself, too. Yeah, of course, that is a possibility. Although, although somehow, knowing what sort of guy Flair is, I... I seems less like Jim Ross and uh, Cornette are both nerdy guys right and well I mean Flair definitely though has a a uh, you know relationship or whatever with Meltzer right so I, I don't know maybe it was all of them at different times I mean it's possible yeah it's a good possibility um and I will save the post Clash 10 news from the February 19th uh, uh, edition for next time. But there's one bit of news that we can't ignore here. And that is that Mike Tyson was KO'd by Buster Douglas. Right. One of the biggest upsets in boxing history. Now Vince has already made the decision that he's still going to use Tyson despite the fact he lost the belt. However, Tyson might not want to take part himself now. And apparently he was going to be played close to a million dollars and was contracted to work the date. Watch this space. <laughs> now, I'm guessing that never happened, right? No, they end up using uh, Buster Douglas in right. that match. And then, then the way they kind of worked their way out of that is they, uh, they basically said, well, we just said the heavyweight champion of the world would be the, uh, refer- or the enforcer of the match, and that's now Buster Douglas. So that's kind of how they maneuvered themselves out of that. Feels like weak sauce, though, isn't it? You could have. I, I mean, certainly a different, uh, a big <laughs> difference between Tyson coming in and uh, Buster Douglas. Even though 
I mean, if you were going to have Buster Douglas do anything, that was the absolute pee because that was 10 days after he, you know, knocked out Tyson. But, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, Buster Douglas lost his very next fight. Was that NBC show big? Was that like a, like, because Mountain was talking like that? I mean, I don't, I don't really understand why he was so hyped of it because it felt like a, you know, like a general run of the mill Saturday night's main event from what we saw. I mean, Hogan beat up, uh, beat up Savage and they pretty much, uh, advanced the warrior storyline, but that, it didn't seem like it was some huge, uh, event to me. It's time for wrestling's most important network. The Power Hour presents the Wrestling News Network. Now let's go to the Walter Cronkite of Wrestling, Gordon Soley. Gordon Soley. Let's uh, get his version of the events now, because I think this is quite fun to do. We've seen Meltzer's version. <laughs> now let's see what wrestling's top journalist, Gordon Soley, has got to say about things. <laughs> January the 5th, okay? There are three horsemen, he says. But he speculates on who might be the fourth. Um, and he's been asked to make some predictions for 1990. He says that there are lots of contenders for the NWA title. And uh, I think it's quite interesting to see who he lists, okay? Now, d- tell me if this surprises you, if this list uh, Luger, no surprise there. Right. Dan Spivey. That would have been a little bit of a surprise, I think. Sid. Well, as we see, that shouldn't be too big of a surprise. <laughs> Sting. Uh, I can see that definitely, the way they were going. The Great Muta. Uh, that would have been a surprise to J- me. Jumbo Tasuda. Uh, big surprise, considering he hadn't <laughs> even been mentioned. Fujinami. Another big surprise. One, so- considering he's in the... Uh, different promotion and two he also has not been mentioned <laughs> so do you, do you think that this is like some small way of uh, of them trying to like cozy up to japan by mentioning these that these two big stars on this I, don't, <laughs> mm, I think it's more them trying to sound smart for their little wrestling wrap-up you know hardcore audience but were they still considered part of the nwa at this point uh those promotions oh i don't know uh i don't know who would have been affiliated with them i mean it's still going right they're, they're still uh like i i know flair was working far fewer outside dates at this point but uh oh it, yeah yeah now flair would not be going to defend the title in japan at I, this point yeah no that's over uh okay January the 12th, the Rock and Roll Express are back in the NWA. So, uh, confirming Meltzer's report. (laughs) Kerry Von Erich has left his family in Texas and will be wrestling as an independent competitor. And I thought this was really interesting. They show a caption uh, with a quote from Kerry Von Erich saying, I will start accepting contracts outside of Texas. (laughs) Do you think (laughs) Kerry Von Erich really said that? (laughs) And then it says underneath it, he may be coming to the NWA. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, no. And then, on a personal note, uh, Gordon Soli says, Dr. Death Steve Williams has a mindset problem. He can't seem to uh, get it set on where he really wants to go. He 
hopes that Williams proves himself to be one of the greats in the coming years. Um, and he, yeah, he talks about uh, Williams' sporting background and how since becoming a pro wrestler, he's never quite got his mind straight on what he wants. So uh, that was one of the more unusual personal notes. Right. Um, January 19th, there was more... Mainly this is just a shell for the clash and the wrestle war. Um, but he does mention that the USWA and CWA have merged uh, in Memphis. Um, so mm-hmm. they'll be exchanging talent. Uh, but then he uses it as an opportunity to shell the fact that the NWA are visiting Memphis soon. <laughs> and then he says that uh, Sax Calhoun has passed away of diabetes. And he remembers him with fondness and mourns his passing with a close personal friend. So there we are. Uh, January the 26th, more shilling of Clash and Wrestle War. He congratulates the, descri- the Destruction crew for winning the PWI Rookies of the Year. Uh, and on a personal note, he says that no one knows if Flair will still be champ when he faces Sting. And he wonders if Sting can be the wrestler of the 90s as Flair has been the wrestler of the 80s. Yeah, now that was the narrative they were really pushing over, uh, even in the Iron Man you know, yeah. match. And, uh, well, as you'll see, uh, injury really was the thing. That I wonder if they were trying to recruit the destruction crew with them kind of sending that out. Yeah. I, I, can, I can see that. It, I, I'm wondering if they, like, use these things as a way of, like, sending kind of oblique messages. It's kind yeah, of... I can certainly see that with the destruction crew. Um, more shilling of the Clash in the Rest of War on February the 2nd. And on a personal note, I thought this was interesting. He mentions the absence of Gary Hart, so predicts that the Horsemen will beat the JTEX guys without uh, Gary Hart there to steer things for them. So, uh, interesting that they didn't bury him, uh, given that he was fired at that point. Um, so, there we are. Um, Gordon Solia illuminating as ever. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get on to Clash of the Champions 10? Yeah. Texas Shootout. The good. The bad. And... The Ugly. TBS presents Clash 10, Texas Shootout. You will run for cover at the six-man steel cage match. Bear witness to the most awesome onslaught since the Alamo. Not since the OK Corral has there been such a gathering of young guns. The good, the bad, and the ugly meet at the edge of town. Tuesday night, 8.05 Eastern on TBS. This was at the Coliseum in Corpus Christi, Texas. Ever been there, Chad? Uh, no, I've not uh, actually ever been to Texas. Period. Oh, I, I, I've been to Texas. It's actually uh, very interesting how the landscape changes as you go over that border. It's uh, right. so flat there. February the sixth, nineteen ninety, and uh, as this starts, there's a very bizarre Western theme kind of opening, style like one of those uh, old fairground shooter games with cardboard cutouts of the wrestlers popping up to be shot. I thought this was really weird. Uh, I kind of like this. Um, it was kind of a cool graphic type thing to give the show a unique vibe. So I didn't have a problem with this, with the kind of whole theme of the show. The commentators are Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, who's very excited and using his tennis racket as a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Uh, Sting is on the hotline. Uh, and Terry Funk uh, is in the ring in a tux. Um, we go over to Gordon Soley first, who looks completely sozzled to me. I actually think that Soley might be on the bottle at this point. 
uh, doing this interview because he just didn't seem with it at all. Yeah. Uh, and he's with the Row Warriors, who do their usual shouty promo. Yeah, this was uh, kind of part of the course for them, so not much, uh, so, not much new news. Same old, same old. Right. Um, and then we get short Saturday night's main event style kind of insert promos from the Samoan Savage and the Big Kahuna. And this was a theme of this show in general, I thought. They, they'd moved a lot closer to the Saturday night's main event style presentation, I think, with this particular show. Did you notice that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you did have sort of the introductions. Uh, a, a lot of things were weird about this show, as we'll go through. But th- yeah, this was one of them. The entrances were another one of them. Uh, they, they tried a lot of different things here. That was kind of their intro, was that little insert promo uh, with the graphic going on in the background. Um, so that was unique. Speaking of unique, we get Steve, yes. Steve Williams in an ambulance now. Yes. <laughs> now what the hell is this? <laughs> this is uh, this is one of my favorite. One one thing I'll say, I mean, I, I think we can go ahead and declare uh, right here and there. This show sucks, and uh, <laughs> what I, I I do blame Loss and uh, Will in some regards because. The segments they showed on the yearbook were not, uh, I mean, they, they were hokey. I mean, this made the yearbook, and while this was ridiculous, it was, uh, you know, kind of a two-minute thing. So it was like, okay, that was stupid, but, you know, it's a two-minute segment. But when you watch the whole show, all almost two hours of just pitiful stuff going on it makes it a lot less forgiving but essentially uh yeah we go to the back we see dr death uh lay somebody on a stretcher he gives them probably the worst uh you know kind of resuscitation thing i've ever seen he has a stethoscope and uh then he looks out we see him looking disgruntled and the ambulance drives off with him staring out the window and then uh he makes his entrance so this is uh, one of the goofiest little things i've ever seen well for my money it's the best thing that steve williams has done to date because oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I i actually decided that i don't like I, I don't like anything steve williams has done really um on any of the shows that we've watched like well, nothing stands out as uh, a part. This really stands out. I'll remember this in ten years. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's taking on the Samoan Savage, uh, who uh, um, is still around. Now, what's, what happens here? Woman comes to ringside. Yeah. Now, woman comes to ringside. Uh, she by this time had done got rid of Doom. As we'll see. So she's sort of, I guess, taking note and recruiting, uh, you know, I don't I don't know, both of these guys, even though I, I don't really know where that developed. That sort of got dropped. Woman was at a weird state around this point in time because this was also the same point in time when her and Cornette and her and Flair were having those weird innuendo-ish uh, yeah. promos together so they really didn't know what to do with her you could tell they wanted to have her displayed in some capacity but i don't think they knew with who but uh this this match is really bad um it's seven minutes long 
the uh, Samoan Savage uses our favorite, the uh, the kind of a nerve hold for most of his offense. Uh, Dr. Dev seems really excitable and, uh, you know, over enthusiastic throughout the match. I don't think he was awful in this match, but the Samoan Savage I thought was awful and did nothing on offense. We didn't have much of a story. And then Dr. Death ends up rolling him up, which seems like to me a pretty protected finish for the Samoan Savage, even though he got pinned. Uh, kind of in the way they did it was a little fluky roll-up for Dr. Death, which I was surprised about. Um, just just to go back to woman a minute, Chad. Um, I did notice that uh, Ross noted when she came out that Nitron seems to have disappeared. Do you remember yes. him? Yes, and, uh, Nitron, uh, he, I, I, I think he may come back, though, but I'm not positive. But in the in the Meltzer, he, uh, he reckons that the only reason that woman came out was to tell the crowd that Nitron's gone. Oh, well, I guess he don't <laughs> come back then. <laughs> uh, well, maybe he does, though. I mean, uh, you know, like, uh, we have hindsight, Melter, Melter doesn't, so... Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's really strange, though, because she, she doesn't really seem to have any purpose to be there. Right. Um, I noticed that Cornette made a lot of jokes about the number of Spanish people in the crowd and how Texas has ordered in extra border control tonight. Um, he's a lot more heelish now, uh, Cornette. Yes. Yeah, he was heelish all throughout the show. Uh, and the banter between him and uh, Ross is quite rapier-like, I think. Uh, I wasn't into this match at all. Uh, mm. I noticed that um, Doc really struggled to get Simone Savage up for the Gorilla Press, um, which is understandable because he's quite a big guy. But yeah, this was uh, this was nothing at all. This match. I, I did want to ask you though um, whether my claim that Doc in this time frame, in fact, Doc in all of the time that we've seen him, Chad, is basically like um, WWF Jim Duggan without any of the charisma or overness of, of Duggan in WWF. Mm, I, I think I think that's selling Doc short a little bit. I think we've seen him make uh, some pretty steady improvements uh, throughout his tenure to where he's able to... I mean, you know, I, I, I can't blame much of this match on Doc because I thought of what he was asked to do in this match, he did fine. He was just, I mean, how how do you really sell a nerve hold? I mean, he was on all fours and looked in pain, but that's, that's literally all he was given to. I mean, I thought his opening flurry uh, shine sequence in the beginning was uh, pretty good. I mean, I mean, Duggan, I think, just went on autopilot in the WWF, which he didn't really have to uh, to do a whole lot, you know, to get over with the crowd, and so he didn't. Uh, I think Doc definitely tries harder than Duggan would at this point. So, so Meltzer went two and a half of that, which seems absurd. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. That's <laughs> I cannot believe that. Okay. Right, so I think we're both way down on that match. Yeah, that may have been... That's a, this is probably like a half star to a star match for me, honestly. Um, a band called The Tough Guys is playing. Yeah. <laughs> and Cornette says, I hear their last record. It wasn't released, it escaped. <laughs> and then he notes that the drummer is wearing a pink hat. <laughs> yeah, this was very uh, 90s. It yeah. was very 90s. So one of the things that I thought about this show, Chad, is that um, it's almost like somebody flicked a switch and said, 
now it's the 90s. It's like we've definitely left the 80s now. And now all of the goofy 90s stuff is going to flood in. Um, like it, it seems like night and day to me, the show, compared to the last show that we did. What, what was the last um, show? Did Starcade 89? Well, Starcade 89 had some kind of elements of this. But yeah, they've, they've certainly uh, keyed it up a lot. So... Uh... Terry Funk is in the ring, hyping WCW and Horseman, who now come out. At this time, of course, the Horsemen are Flair, Arn, Ole, and Sting. Um, now, I don't think anybody ever thinks of this particular lineup when they're thinking about different lineups for the Horsemen. Do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very brief. Yeah. We're, you're talking about a three to four week run. So, Cornette claims that Ole is dressed like Johnny Cash, all in black. Um... And Funk says that these four men are tough. Flair says that they're going to make a statement. Ole has a few words. Sting, you're the reason we're here tonight. You're no longer a horseman. Um, so they are basically uh, kicking him out. The fans boo. Ole tells uh, Sting to be quiet. So he says there's three of us and there's one of you. Um, they can't forgive him for signing the title uh, with match with Flair. Fair enough, I think. I mean, if you're going to be a horseman, don't don't sign title matches with Flair. Would you agree? I mean... Yeah, I I, I can understand that. Perfectly reasonable uh, expectation from the horseman here. Ole says that if if he wants to stay alive, he needs to cancel that contract. He gives him a two-hour deadline, and then Sting shouts, not a chance, and inevitably they all jump on him. (laughs) Flair Flair shouts his head off, and he's really, like, insane. Get out of this business. Get out of my life, he shouts. Uh, Cornette applauds. Ross is disgusted. And whatever you're thinking of the booking, I basically love it when the horseman suckers sting and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we can talk about the uh, the booking here, Chad, because I know this is a big talking point with you. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the, I think. I mean, I I don't really know. Is it's tough because we are having the benefit of hindsight. But in a lot of ways, when you look at the many, many, many mistakes uh, WCW made on a a macro level, this honestly feels like one of the biggest ones to me. Because there, one, was no reason for them to hotshot Sting versus Flair in the first point uh, that this soon. I mean, we'd seen them in Starcade have a good match, which felt still fresh coming off there. Uh, clash match and you know build build this up now flair had been established as a baby face as a full-on baby face sting was still felt like an up-and-comer there's a great six-man tag where sting teams with arn and uh flair versus the jtex corporation uh, from late July, or from what late January, excuse me, that's a lot of fun. The crowd's going ballistic for this version of the Horseman, and I just can't can't really justify any reason why that the uh, Horseman would decide to turn heel here. Especially, you know, not we'll we'll get to what happens at the very end, which makes this even more tragic. But uh, but even if they go on the assumption of uh, of what was going to happen, you look at the babyface side of the roster, you know, with what their plans are in this moment when they attack Sting, 
And who's your baby face roster? You've got Sting, and then who else? Who would be your next top baby face to now compete with these three uh, big people? Plus, Luger was still a heel at this point in Pillman? time. Pillman is somebody you could go to, but he was still, I mean, I don't think... It's a far way down the card. Yeah, right? that's a, a far piece down the card. Funk was not active. So you really have, I, I, I can't understand who they thought would align up. I mean, it's, it's almost interesting to think about, like after Sting and Flair at WrestleWar, which they had pegged Sting to win, where do they go from there? Like, what were the plans for that? I think Sting versus Luger eventually, but I mean, like Capital Combat would have happened. Would they have went with Flair and Sting of the rematch, or would they have done? I, the, the there's only, just a lot going on the, here. The only thing I can, the only thing that I can think of is that if they were thinking about maybe giving uh, the Steiner single runs in some way, uh, like uh, I know there was talk of using Scott Steiner in a kind of main event role in some way, because um, really that's probably the next biggest guys on the card, right. or the or the Road Warriors. And, and, you know, we don't really want to see Road Warriors in singles matches, but uh, that's pretty much it, right? Right. Yeah. So I I think it's very short-sighted, you know, this whole attack. If you you look at the attack in a vacuum, it's kind of cool because they lay a good beating to Sting. Flair, you know, gives his, like, famous you paid the price line or whatever when he's yelling at him and punches him, but... uh, but from a booking standpoint, to me, this makes no sense at all. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is something uh, we've been talking about recently on the on the board chat. You should you should get in there. Uh, it's in that big uh, clusterfuck Ric Flair thread. Yeah, I've been I've been reading all that, but yeah, I mean, I think most of my points have pretty much been conveyed by uh, both Loss and yourself. But uh, I, I think me and him, uh, me and Loss, especially, really align on this the the kind of the what was the right thing to do uh, well, in this bit, point the bigger point is that i mean rick flair if you listen to the crowd really i, I my argument is from pretty much starcade 87 till now you get the impression that the fans really want to cheer flair that like even in the moments when he's been a face he's been cheered he was cheered against steamboat consistently uh throughout that feud um, and that was partly because Steamboat wasn't as over as he could be, but it was also because fans in that region just love Ric Flair. And, and by this point, he's you know a legend. He's built up as the greatest wrestler ever. Why wouldn't you cheer him, right? Um, so, like, I think there were problems with Flair working heel anyway. Uh, but not only that, then you've got the Luger situation, which we can talk about a bit later. Um, I know the the wrestling culture podcast have just done a whole show on Lex Luger, uh, but he was like great as a heel all the way through '89. So you're gonna wreck that as well? For what? I don't. I mean, it's it's very strange, uh, very strange booking at this point. Okay, let's. Uh, we, we can we can touch on that again later on uh, when we uh, when we get to Luger, uh, if you want, uh, Chad. Um, there's something truly 1990 now. Uh, the Wrestle Wall rap. <laughs> yeah. Listen, homeboy. He gather around. 
Testament to biology meets sting, the dream of entomology. Lex Luger, the belt, his holy grail quest is scheduled for an operation on Dr. Death. Road warriors, survivors from a place time for God, plan to reduce skyscrapers to parking lots. The Steiners, their brothers, they wrestle as one, but they do not scare the brothers and the sons. Wrestle War Dining, a wild thing you see. Available through your cable company. Pay per view, excitement from THE going down the 25th of February. So, bloody hell. I, <laughs> so, just before the show, uh, chat while I was waiting for you, you were probably like stuck in Atlanta traffic or whatever you were, were doing. Do you, do you drive home from work? Uh, I actually ride a transit bus. Um, so, yeah. While you were sitting on that bus, uh, I was um, listening to the rest of all rap and writing down the lyrics. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I've written it out here uh, and I want to go, th- I want to analyze some of these lyrics, Chad. Because I don't know, I don't actually know what he says in the first line. He says something like, "This is a boy. Please gather round. WrestleWar 90 is about to go down." And this is the bit I really want to focus on here. He says, "Ric Flair, the champ, testament to biology, meets Sting, the dream of entomology." So entomology is the like the study of insects. <laughs> so <laughs> was he saying that Sting? is the dream of entomology because he does the scorpion deathlock and the scorpion is some sort of insect. That's a very complex lyric in the Reservoir <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. Any, uh, any thought? The dream I did, of yeah, These, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I don't think, I know both uh, now yourself and, Charles are huge fans of the Wrestle World rap. I I I must say I don't get it. Like even from a, a, a hilariously bad point of view, I, I don't understand. I is guess it, is it um, Eric Bischoff on the mic? It sounds like uh, it sounds like it could be Eric Bischoff, right? Mm, I don't I don't know who that'd be. I think he'd still be hanging on in AWA, but I guess it's possible. It, it sounds like somewhat of that. Like do you think it's like some Turner executive living out his dream about being a being like a soap soap and tie rapper. <laughs> it says Lex Luger the belt his holy grail quest is scheduled for an operation on Doctor Death. That doesn't even rhyme. Ro- yeah, well, oh. I guess that was because it was supposed to be Luger versus Doctor Death in the U.S. Championship match, but uh, yeah. okay. Row Warrior survivors from a place time forgot. Plan to reduce the skyscrapers to parking lots. The Steiners, <laughs> the Steiners, the brothers—they wrestle as one, but they do not scare the brothers and the son. Uh, wrestle War 90, a wild thing you see, available from your cable company. Pay-per-view excitement on your T.H.E. So what's that? Your Turner t- Home Entertainment, Turner. I think, right? Yeah. Going down on 25th of February. 
There we are. The Dress of War 90 wrap. Uh, nice. Excellent. Um, you, you're not a big fan, Chad? No, not a big fan. And that that is... Uh, the Wrestle War 90 rap is uh, definitely a 90s thing that we were talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, on this uh, on this particular edition, I'm going to start off with a little uh, mix from 1990, right? And oh, nice. uh, you'll be able to see just how 1990 the Wrestle War rap is compared <laughs> to what was actually in the charts. Uh, so that should be fun. <laughs> um, so the next match now, the Mod Squad versus Flying Brian and the Z-Man. Who the hell with the mod squad? Spike and Petra. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, uh, honestly, there's not a ton about them. Uh, you know, like this is about the most high uh, high impact they were. They were mostly just kind of jobbers around mid-southern uh, central states. They had a short run here, um, you know. Not not a whole lot to them. Their physique is pretty bad. Uh, you know, they don't look like... Uh, they don't have a very good physique-wise. And so this is their most high-profile match of their career, I guess. It's pretty amazing that those two guys are on TV. <laughs> yeah, right now. Um, now, Pillman looked pretty good in this match, I thought. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did think that he and the Zenk there did look pretty gay doing a double jumping high fives with each other. <laughs> um, any thoughts on this? I I thought this match actually was better than I figured it'd be, I must say. I, I wouldn't call it, uh, at best, probably like a two-and-a-half-star match, but uh, I, I like the team of Pillman and Brian, I think, uh, I mean, Pillman and Zink, and uh, I thought that they had some pretty cool kind of double team moves where Pillman got slingshotted into the ring and did the double clothesline and the mod squad with their, uh, you know, attack on top, they did help Pillman to sell off of it, which is, you know, integral. But, uh, what they did was pretty basic. I thought they did some pretty basic tag stuff, but did it fairly well where they would constantly tag in and out and, uh, would isolate Pillman. They did some good stuff with that and a couple of double team stuff where, uh, you know, they slammed one of the mod squad members, slammed Pillman on the knee of the other one's stomach first. So pretty rudimentary stuff, but, uh, but this, this was a lot better than I thought going in. I thought it went on too long for what was basically a squash match. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, just shy of 10 minutes. So uh, we did, at the end of Pillman's heat sequence, get to sort of a chin lock oriented, a lot of chin lock oriented stuff. So Meltzer gave this one star. Yeah, now see, I I could see this being, uh, yeah, as we'll go on, this, this, I haven't decided yet, but this may be a match of the night contender, which that should tell you (laughs) something. But this is, uh, I mean, I would go like two and a half. I thought this was perfectly fine tag wrestling. God, if this this match of the night is going to sully our awards page. Yeah, well, I think anything you pick from this show is going to do that. Um, so my big question here, uh, watching Pillman and Zenk celebrate in a very camp manner, is who is gayer, right? These two or Strike Force? Mm, I, I think, uh, well, I mean, Zenk, definitely is uh 
you know, I mean, Zink is what he is, but he, uh, I mean, he was, I think this is a pretty interesting run for Zink because a few days before this was when he had that flare, uh, match on TV that I thought was uh, pretty good too. Yeah. I did. I do think like the, knowing like the type of guy that Pillman is, he must've had a lot of fun playing like a real kind of blowjob baby face like this. Yeah, he was definitely an excitable type fired up baby face around this point. Yeah, I do like uh, <laughs> uh, the reason I mentioned Strike Force is because uh, Martel and uh, Santana doing that run are just they're they're ridiculous in uh, in in how much they they do those uh, jumping high fives and kind of like they're kind of squeaky clean baby faces. Mm-hmm. The, 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 no, like. Uh, like compared to like uh, Rock and Roll Express or the Rockers or any of those type of guys, there's no edge to them. You know, they're, they're, right. they're pure squeaky clean, um, old school faces. Interesting match up next: Cactus Jack Manson versus Mil Mascaris. Right. But this is a very young Mick Foley here, um, and uh, what weird match to be on this card. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mascaris uh, is looking pretty spry. I thought in 1990. Uh, yeah, now, uh, did you like the Mill Maskers Jumbo match, of course, with the Death Valley Driver board? No. Wrapping I, out. I, I didn't like any, any. I don't think I liked any Maskers match there. Was that the one where the blood was coming out of his mask? Yep, yep. That was probably the best of his matches, but I seem to remember I only gave it like three or three and a half or something. Like that. Okay, yeah, I liked that match a good deal. I mean, I think it was like in my top 40, maybe. Uh, I kind of have a lot to say about this match. I don't know. I mean, this, of course, has became a famous match because of Foley shit and all Mascaris and all that stuff. And, I mean, certainly Mascaris has been proven to be sort of a selfish guy, but I don't necessarily want to excuse him for being that way, but he is a major star. Like, I do think it's kind of short-sighted of Foley... At this point in time, I mean, what this match was, was a showcase for Mascaris. And Foley's, a, you know, has, takes great bumps. And I think that's why he was put in this position, was to take a good bump and make Mascaris look good. So I don't, I guess I kind of don't know what Foley wanted here. I mean, did he want a 15-minute brawl through the arena with him and Mel Mascaris going 50-50? Because... That seems silly to me, too. I mean, I do know Maskers was only brought in for one day, according to this. and But uh, it wasn't like Foley was hanging around much at all, either. And I did have a couple of problems with what Foley did, like as far as that one spot in this match where he sets a chair down, he backs up, and then he trips over the chair and takes the bump on the concrete, which... I, I, I don't know. I, did, I didn't like that spot. I thought that was kind of in the scheme of what this match was out there to accomplish. I thought that was Foley trying to get himself over too much mm-hmm. uh, as a unique kind of spot as a heel. And then, of course, we do have the famous uh, nasty plunge spot that Foley does here, which is an absolute sick bump. Uh, but then, I mean, Foley's getting right back up off of that, which I don't care for that either so i this this is a match i guess i don't 
if I wanted to blame, I, I can't blame Fault and Mascaris in this match. Like, I don't know what anybody wants him to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, well, like, Cactus Jack at this point in his career was barely above jobber level on the card, right? He was a lower, right. lower mid-card wrestler. Yes. Mil, Mil Mascaris was a legend, right? Right, Like a, yeah. a, a movie star. And so it's, it's not really reasonable to expect this to be 50-50 in any way. Um, especially if, as Meltzer said, he's been brought in to placate the Hispanic fans who are in the crowd. Exactly. Right? So it, it's, uh, I'm totally with you there, Chad. The, the best part of this match, of course, is Cornette's uh, screaming on commentary, Cactus Jack is dead, which uh, uh, entertained me. Um, and then he he basically no-sells it. I, yeah, like he, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, that's a great call, but, you know, as it's happening, Cactus is getting back up into his feet and getting back in the ring. So there was not enough dramatic effect with this sick bump uh, for me to really take it, I guess, seriously or whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. This is uh, this was kind of strange, strange yeah. match. I think um, yeah. Mascaris did hit a flying crossbody for three, uh, and considering he was like approaching his fifties at this point, uh, I'm pretty sure he was getting to be pretty old. Um, he was looking not bad. I think you want to check the age there, Chad. But uh, I think he was. I think he was approaching fifty. So that's not. Yeah, he was born in 1942. So yeah, he'd have been uh, 48 or 40, yeah, 48, 47 at this point. Not bad to be hitting a crossbody of that caliber no. at that age. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to proclaim Mel Maskers as like a, a Lex Luger type person that the internet <laughs> shits on, and he's really not that bad. But I, I do think like this match. Uh, I, I just think this match has a lot built up about it based on what Foley says in the book, and there's a lot of... Uh, still, I mean, come on, man. I mean, I, I Foley, I guess, is a guy we should to talk about a little bit. Um, since yeah, this is the first to. time we've seen him. But, uh, I mean, I mean, Foley... I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll just say, like, when I was a kid, like, and I read Foley's first book... Uh, you know, I, I I really drunk the Foley Kool-Aid and was like, oh, this, you know, I could be a Mick Foley type person. You know, we look kind of alike. We have this passion for wrestling and all this stuff. And I just think of, of all the kind of people that have been exposed to be a carny in the past, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years, even like above Flair and people like that, Foley to me is the worst offender. Like I just I, I can't I can't handle it anymore because he seems to be still defended, and uh, it's just like come on. I mean, the guy said he was going to retire and he was not going to have these Terry Funk retirements, and he did that. And it's just I, I don't I don't know. I mean, as as a wrestler, it'll be interesting to watch back through this WCW stuff. I still like him as a wrestler. Uh, a lot, I mean, some stuff, I mean, I, I honestly think the 90s stuff that we saw in the yearbook was pretty quite bad overall. He had a decent match with Gilbert in March, but, uh, I, I think lost like that match a lot more than me. I, I, I thought that match was okay, but with what Gilbert was doing in 1990, I think he could have had it with pretty much anybody else. So, I mean, were you, uh, you were a big Mick Foley fan then back in the day, Chad? Yeah, I, I would say from, uh, you, you know, like when he uh, 
when this first book came out through the Rock and Sock stuff up until the uh, like the Royal Rumble 2000 stuff, Cactus Jack versus Triple H, I was really into Foley. Like that that run, I was extremely into that. And then when he retired, uh, in quotation marks, at No Way Out 2000 versus Triple H, that was a very emotional investing match for me. Uh, and then him coming back, you know, a month later to fight at WrestleMania, that that was the first thing that made me lose my luster. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I don't think I was ever a, a big fan. I, I, I do think that he's a very likable guy, uh, which, um, which I think goes a long way. I also right. think that he's one wrestler who is kind of like sort of one of us in a strange way like he's more like one of us than the normal wrestler yeah he definitely feels like a kind of common man that's out there you know i mean he has a, a like an everyday type look and build uh so that i mean i mean foley's the type of guy that if he was working as an accountant in my office it wouldn't you know be yeah. out of place that type of look yeah um what well, i guess we'll see a lot more Cactus Jack in the in the coming uh, in the coming shows. Um, yeah, I, I do. Th- I mean, I, I've got kind of reservations about the style that he pioneered. Um, I was never really into the uh, garbage wrestling as it was. I, I, you know, um, th- that said, he did take better bumps than than a lot of those ECW guys, as far as right. as far as I uh, as far as I can remember. Sure. Um, okay, well, what, what else happens now? Um, there's a, Missy Hyatt tells us that she's going to be the new co-host of Main Event. Mm-hmm. Cactus Jack is still in the ring, and the tough guys are still playing. <laughs> He's holding his head and happy that the music is still going on. The song is absolutely atrocious, and Jack is getting really pissed off about it. He goes after the band, and the pink-hatted drummer stands up. And then there's a fight that breaks up between the pink-hatted drummer and Cactus Jack. Was was this meant to go somewhere? This this is going to be the new. Feature. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that the drummer is uh, the wrestler J.T. Southern, who uh, who did some kind of indie-ish type stuff. So I I don't I don't know if they had big plans or not, but that's why uh, that happened. So so this is on national TV now. This pink-hatted drummer and uh, yeah. and Cactus Jack fighting. Uh, as if, uh, as if things couldn't get much better here, Soli is with Norman the Lunatic, who's in a cowboy hat and has a toy koala bear with him. Norman wants uh, to get some hot dogs, and Soli reminds him of the gravity of the situation ahead of him. Um, Norman says that Kevin Sullivan is like a rat. We then get treated to a vignette with uh, Norman visit- visiting a farm, and he sees a pig, and he calls him Kevin Sullivan. Um, and this, again, like... this. This, to me, reminded me of, like, a Saturday Night Main Event skit from 1986, something like that. Yeah. It, it seemed like they were trying to be like Saturday Night's Main Event only, like, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, in fact, I, I seem to remember Uncle Elmer doing, like, going to a farm or something in a Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, any thoughts on Norman in the farm, Chad? Uh, no, this sucked. <laughs> It's a very annoying. I, I, mean, I guess I don't get the gimmick, but yeah. So, so now we have uh, 
Kevin Sullivan versus Norman the Lunatic in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, God. All right, you go first. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what it is. It's an awful seven-minute match. There's not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of going on here. Not a lot of intensity or crazy brawling or whatever. It's basically a punch kick match. They go out outside the ring. They end up going to the back and on commentary, they really play this moment up like it's a, a huge deal, which I, I mean, I guess it was that we hadn't seen up to this point in time any backstage brawling fighting, but this is, I don't think, the best way to introduce that. Uh, they end up in the back. They have the women's restroom door. A woman runs out scared. Uh, Norman then decides to charge in after Sullivan in the woman's restroom. They lock Sully out. And then we see uh, Sullivan emerge, passes out on the floor, and Norman comes out, declared the victor with a toilet seat and a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> uh, he's the winner. So the viewer was not the winner of this match. So yeah, the the best part of this match is Gordon Soley standing there awkwardly. Yeah, <laughs> like he's so out of place. What's he doing? Holding the microphone. I mean, who knows what he was thinking looking at this? So just completely ridiculous. Um, it's so tame this brawl. Like, there's no violence yeah, or anything. Yeah, there's no uh, issue, or it feels like it's just. Uh, just very mindless type brawling. Do you, do you think we've seen anything good from Kevin Sullivan, really? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we. I don't. I don't know if you see much good from Kevin Sullivan. Period. He's not a worker I usually like. Uh, I, I mean, he has the brawl with Benoit that we'll get to, but uh, beyond that, I can't offhand think of any other match that I would classify as really good that he's been involved in. So this has been a mostly terrible show so far. Yeah. Um, Terry Funk's in the ring again, and he hypes Lex Luger as a man's man. Luger Luger, uh, comes out, and he claims that he's watched Funk uh, a long time. Do you believe that? Mm, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Luger says that he's obviously the number one contender, and that Sting had no place signing that match in the first place. The crowd chant, we want Sting. This is all a bit confusing, because Luger's still a heel. Flair's just turned heel. Luger says that he's the epitome of success and is the greatest U.S. champ ever. Now, I thought this was a very rambling, confusing promo and uh, probably the worst thing we've seen from Luger for a while. Yeah, this was not Lex's best work, uh, judging from his shirt choice tonight um, to the promo, which is rambling. He loses track. He ends up getting cut off. Uh, the, the timing funk essentially has to say, we'll be right back with the tag match. And... Uh, they cut him off mid-sentence, so this this was pretty bad. Yeah, it was. Um, no, nothing else to say. It was just uh, just a bit of a clusterfuck. Of a yeah, thing. and I mean, again, weird with the booking, though. I mean, because Luger's calling out Sting or wanting to fight for the championship, too. It's, it's unsure, so it's like, why is he not... I mean, again, at this point in time, he was scheduled to fake Dr. Death, so why is he not more concerned with him in two weeks, you know? Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, now now is a good time as any. Um, Luger had a good thing going here, didn't he? Basically, from his point of view. I mean, he was great as a heel U.S. champ. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, Luger is somebody as we'll see when he turns face. I don't think that was quite as bad as Flair turning heel to me, though. Right. Okay. And and you can at least justify it because it was done out of necessity rather than right out of convenience. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um. Right. So we get another brief Row Warriors promo now before the next match, which is the Skyscrapers mm-hmm. versus uh the Row Warriors, and now Mean Mark Callis is right. one of the Skyscrapers. Do you want to talk a bit about him? It's the first time we're yeah, first time we see him. I think we'll only see him a couple times actually. Uh, so of course that's the Undertaker, and uh, the Undertaker's somebody that I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, that kind of. I mean, I think the Undertaker is somebody that in the past couple of years has gotten a lot more respect, I guess, from the smart fans for one his kind of cool character that he's been able to maintain for twenty three years now or whatever, and two he he does have a sort of canon of good matches and some a lot of people would say great matches. I mean, based on what you think about the Shawn Michaels and Triple H matches. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say that's four near five-star matches he had in WrestleMania. I mean, certainly I think most people thought that his match versus Punk at this year's WrestleMania was very good. So uh, I, I like The Undertaker a good deal. <clears throat> yeah, well, I think he—I think just through pure longevity, he's uh, managed to kind of make himself into a real legend of this kind of mo- modern period. One yeah, he few- feels like... Yeah, he feels like kind of like a Mount Rushmore candidate for WWF, like past the Bruno era, you know? I mean, you could say like Hogan, Austin, Rock, and then, uh, you know, maybe Cena, but then I would put The Undertaker right there with him. Yeah, no, I I couldn't disagree with that. Uh, My reservations about those uh, matches that you listed are well-known, I think. I, 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 I have a problem with the style as we've uh, as we've discussed it right at length um and i'm not sure i mean i, I didn't i did not like the uh the michaels match um and i didn't uh i didn't enjoy it even at the time so it's uh it's just a personal thing i think I, I can i can understand why people think those are five star matches um mm-hmm. but but for me it's uh I, I don't know. I, I don't like the legacy of it, and I don't like the. Uh, it, it's not. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it's a, It's just. It, it feels like you're you're pushing something. Where where do you take it? You, you keep on going up and up, and where does it end? Where does it stop? How many false finishes can you do? You know. Right. Um, all of that said, um, it is interesting from a kind of smart fan perspective to see the turnaround on him. Because do you remember when he was almost universally known as the Lazy Taker? Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that even in his, like, uh, American badass stage, I think people were not uh, willing to call him anything but a subpar kind of big man worker. Yeah, I I think this is one of those things, though, where um, it's certainly in our little circle, uh, Chad, brawling has become vogue in a way um and at that time unless you were doing like german suplexes you were considered a bad worker pretty much i mean nobody was giving uh jerry lawler 
um, Jerry Lawler's punches much credence in 1998 or whenever it was, right? Well, he, yeah, I mean, he certainly wouldn't have been a traditional... Uh, he wouldn't have been somebody that people would call, like, a greatest of all time candidate now. But, I mean, I don't think that's a prevailing opinion now, but in the uh, PWO you know, sector of the internet. That's certainly opinion you'll see. Right. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, the way that Taker was working at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think brawling has, uh, I, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to classify that because even in the old Death Valley drivers, I mean, they were putting over battle arts and some big Japan stuff, which was certainly a lot of brawling. But, uh, but I think, um, I, in the other corners of sort of the internet, uh, it's became more acceptable uh, for that. Okay, let's uh, get back to the actual match at hand here, which is uh, I can't even remember what it was now. Skyscrapers versus the Row Warriors. Um, I thought it would work worked at a decent pace, uh, and Canis did some arm work on Hawk, but. Um, Really, this was a case of same old, same old from the Warriors, right? Yeah, this wasn't... I mean, you, you had your kind of traditional power spots. I was excited to see uh, Taker do the kind of rope walk, but I, I think pretty much beyond the novelty of the Road Warriors facing off versus the Undertaker, uh, there wasn't, again, a ton here, and it ends in this big schmoz-type finish where... Ellering and Teddy Long get involved, and uh, you know, a, ch- a chair comes into place, and all this stuff. So uh, they end up doing a pretty good. The skyscrapers end up doing a pretty good uh, number on the Road Warriors at the end with the chair, uh, even after uh, the skyscrapers got DQ'd. But Spivey bent the chair, and then they try to give a pile driver to Hawk on the chair, but they missed the chair completely. Uh, so this this wasn't a ton as far as a match, but uh, this kind of feels like one thing the last time. Uh, you know, as we'll see relatively soon, Teddy Long gets a new team, and uh, he sort of changes his importance in the card a good bit after this. Yeah. Any uh, any thoughts on Spivey here? I thought he was just his usual bad self. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was any, I guess, worse than normal. Uh, actually probably better than some of the performances we've seen, if you can believe that, but uh, not good. I mean, I, I, to me, this match is like another one-and-a-half-star type match. Right. Um, so, Gordon Solis with Brian Pillman, uh, who said that Sting is filled with anger and hate. He's in a rage. Yeah. Pillman is very, very het up, uh, talking about, he's very excited in a kind of, uh, you know, he's in the moment of uh, right. Sting's anger and hatred. And I actually thought um, that Pillman conveyed this better than Sting ever could. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was a good kind of fired up, uh, like you said, in the moment promo by Pillman. Yeah, he looks very kind of beside himself or whatever. Um. So, we get a 20-minute promo from uh, Mask Doom now. And I, just before we go on to that, um, I did want to check to see what uh, um, Meltzer gave that Mascaris uh, Cactus Jack match to. 
Just for the bump. Mm-hmm. Just for yeah. the bump. <laughs> just for the bump. Okay. <laughs> and then um, he he went with the Row Warriors. He gave it two and three quarters. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. I cannot believe that. And what about the Norm and Sullivan? Oh, I, I forgot that. Half a, half a star. Yeah, he'd, okay, he'd, he'd finally. Give it, he'd give it a negative stars, but the sight gag was good enough to elevate it. <laughs> yeah, well. So he's giving it half a star for the toilet roll. Well, I don't, I don't do I don't do a negative stars, but yeah, the half a star that I'd probably give that match would probably be from the sight gag, actually. So I can understand that. I, I can't understand two and three four for that tag match, though. I mean that that seemed like nothing. I mean just basic basic just, basic power tag wrestling. Just a Royal Warriors match. Yeah. Which is which is actually I mean from the way they were talking about the skyscrapers last year. It's actually probably pretty disappointing that now that they they're just fodder for the Royal Warriors. Yeah. Like they obviously had plans for the skyscrapers but Sid was the guy. Sid was the uh yeah, Sid was the catalyst. Yeah, that was the person they really had big plans for, and they'll move him. <laughs> it, it's it's quite funny there that they saw Sid as the star, and they had uh, Mean Mark right <laughs> sitting right under their noses. <laughs> yeah. It, draft pick 1990 January Sid or Mean Mark? No hindsight. You'd, you'd yeah, yeah. I mean, I would take that's one. That's one thing. I mean, that's that's something that's very common with sports here. I mean, I, I mean, to me, I would take Sid. I think sight unseen because you obviously didn't know what could happen here. So, right. so it's Doom versus the Steiner brothers now. How exciting! Mm-hmm. In my mind, still a dream match. Um, <laughs> Jr. starts this by saying that their identities are the worst kept secret in wrestling. And um, basically, the story of this match is that if Doom lose, they have to unmask. Yeah, he actually tries to cover for them still, which is ridiculous because, you know, he's called them by their actual <laughs> name. But he says, like, yeah, some people say the uh, the way he phrases it is, like, some people say Doom's identity is the worst kept secret in wrestling. I have my ideas, but I'm not certain, you know, who they are or whatever. Right. Um, which is. I have got to say, right, with their masks on, it is quite hard to tell who's who sometimes between Reed and uh, Simmons. Like, <laughs> really? I don't like, think it's very like, hard at all. I don't I don't always, like, you know, uh, if, if, can you always tell? Yeah, I mean, especially in this match, I like Butch Reed doing his, like, Butch Reed pose after he does <laughs> the power. Like, I mean, it's like, come on, dude. Like, like Simmons, I could understand maybe a tad bit because he was not exactly uh, a prevalent, you know, person on the TV. But, but, I mean, Butch Reed, to me, sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> in that mask. I mean, here's a guy that had a big Mid-South run, uh, you know, was definitely on WWF TV a lot. So for him to be under a mask seems completely goofy. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> we get a big uh, belly to back from Scott during the shine. And uh, Jim Cornette says, living proof that colleges and universities will pass their athletes no matter what their grades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jim Ross gives him a better stick. He was like, when... Did, to what colleges did you ever graduate from? Which I thought was quite fun. Yeah, Cornette was really good during this match. He also had the, it takes uh, Rick Steiner 90 minutes to watch 60 minutes line. And uh, 
Was this the one where he talked about how much he studied for, uh, he spent all night studying for a urine test, which I thought was hilarious, <laughs> too. Um, so, uh, lo- lots of big spots from the, the Steiners here. Um, and then loads of uh, offense from Doom, too. Did, do you want to uh, give your thoughts on this one, Chad? Um, I mean, I thought this was decent, too. This is To me, this and the Mod Squad are the only two, like, what I'd call decent matches of the night. This, I would guess, would probably be your choice for match of the night. Um, I mean, this solid tag match, but again, I didn't think it was anything extraordinary. Certainly wasn't enough to save this card. Uh, Doom, I thought, looked okay, but their tag match or their uh, heat segment didn't last very long, and I didn't think it was very good. And then the finish of this, again, is kind of bizarre, where you get some more wacky Rick Steiner, where he ends up taking off the mask of Butch Reed. So he's unmasked. He runs around with the guy's mask on. Uh, which the crowd did pop for, unfortunately for me, because I thought this was stupid. But then uh, Rick puts the mask on and rolls uh, Reed up for the win. And uh, afterwards, we get the unmasking of Ron Simmons. So that's that. Yeah. Well, uh, and uh, the, the thing that nailed Butch Reed is the shock of being unmasked. It's like the yeah. shock of that is enough for the three count. Yeah. Um, yeah, well... I I think I like this a little bit more than you did, Chad, as you might expect, because there were lots of bombs from the Steiners, and then I thought it was probably the best Doom performance we've seen so far. When they took over, they had some good power moves. Uh, we saw a spine buster and a pile driver from them. I quite enjoyed their control sec- segment, short-lived as it was. Um, and yeah, I thought like this was as good as... Uh, I, I don't know if it's as good as it could have been, but it's, it was like a you know four beefy guys throwing bombs. It's all right. Enough for like a two and a half, three, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'd go two and a half yeah, me- probably me- for this. Meltzer gave it three. Yeah, that seems actually I kind of surprised it's that low. Looks like a match he'd really dig. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're definitely the best match of the night so far. Yeah, um, but I think, as you'll see, I mean, Doom, to me, gets a lot better now that their hoods are off. Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't been very good today. They had, like, yeah, they, they haven't been very good. And I, I don't know if on just the super shows we'll really get the conveyance for them. But, at, I mean, at the end of the year, they really felt like a top of the card. You know, they could be certainly in most of the... Uh, house shows they were running they could be you know second from the top and not look out of place in a house show card i imagine their squash squash matches are really cool yeah um we get a horseman promo now flair is irate uh move to yeah flair's fully heel in this yeah Yeah, he's i mean he's properly uh heelish in that promo Mm -hmm. then a really weird moment now where the muta has like the thing for to give us promo, but he doesn't say anything. Right. Just silent. And then the Dragon Master does the same. So we essentially get two silent promos. Mm-hmm. And then Buzz Sawyer gives it like a really demented promo. Yeah. Um, and we get the JTEX Corporation coming out without Gary Hart. So they're really kind of like the kind of 
stump of an abortion. Well, yeah, this is this is their last stand. I mean, you know, this is the absolute end of the road for them. Muda would go back to Japan. This is his last appearance for a while. Uh, Buzz wouldn't do a whole lot, and the Dragon Master never did a whole lot. So this is. <laughs> yeah, and I I, uh, I talked uh, recently on the board. Or it, was, it was a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, how. Um, like I can't believe the Dragon Master was the guy they brought in as the third wheel on this. Like surely there was somebody better. Yeah. For that spot, because I mean he was working. If you if you look at the dates and things, he was working like semi-main on uh, on the cards, which seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, that seems pretty ridiculous. Um, a horseman, a solid, and this is a cage match, right? Uh, yeah, this is the cage match. Uh, the horsemen come out. Uh, and, then, and you end up getting a kind of weird dynamic at the beginning of this match because now the horsemen have just turned heel. Uh, so the fans, I guess, kind of don't know quite what to do. They still cheer Flair with his first exchange, but we end up getting the JTEX turning de facto face where <laughs> Muda comes in, the crowd goes wild, Buzz fires off on Arn, and the crowd pops for that. Uh, so all of a sudden, the JTEX Corporation has become faces, and I, I mean, this cage match is a mess. It's it's was, only six minutes. So. Was Dragon Master over with the crowd too? Uh, I think Dragon Master was certainly the least over, probably of all <laughs> six of the wrestlers in the match. But uh, just just a weird match and a weird dynamic that they actually went through. Like I I don't even know if I'd have started the match to be honest. I might have had Sting come out, you know, before the match even started and just ended it that way. Because them actually going through the motions of some sort of a match with the Horsemen winning uh, seems very bizarre. Yeah. So I mean, this was weird. Like it was. Yeah. Uh, I thought Sawyer's punishment early on was quite good. Uh, like the, the punishment that he took, he sold it really well, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd I'd have liked to have seen more Sawyer. To be honest, he he looked quite cool in this very brief look that we had of him here. Um, Flair versus Dragon Master looked ridiculous, and in a, like a just what a mismatch of two guys, uh, both in terms of their talent and their position on the roster. And when Muta came in, he was cheered big time. Um, and then uh, Wahoo McDaniel is there. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah. He is one of the ones that kind of come out. He's so. like in this kind of Sergeant Slaughter role by this point. Right. Um, you know, Sergeant Slaughter is like... The commissioner, like, you know, like, like enforcer, commissioner, yeah. or whatever, yeah. Um, and then other wrestlers come to retain him. This is all weird, because like, Sting is trying to get in, into the ring, and Flair is sort of trying to get out or at least looking over the cage to get out yeah i mean i mean sting climbs up flair's looking down at him they sort of flair gives him a couple punches and they sort of slap at each other and all that stuff and and they they pull sting away so they pull him to the back and uh you know up to this point everything's going uh part of the course and so sting's being restrained by z-man pillman other jobbers and wahoo then he breaks loose and he charges the ring again and here's where it happens where you have the ultimate oh shit moment because you can tell that sting definitely hurts himself as soon as he climbs up the second time 
Uh, you see him whispering to people. They cut away to actually Buzz Sawyer diving off the top of the cage. He did the slaughter of them. Incredible. Yeah, he did the to no rea- Absolutely no reaction. No. <laughs> everybody was looking at Sting still, I think. And uh, so, yeah, he does that. And this is the dive off the top of the cage, uh, which this cage wasn't very tall, but still has uh, Sting limps to the back with his leg. So uh, and then the match uh, just ends. And the show ends right after that. They immediately kind of cut to black. So one little thing bugged me in all this chaos, right? And it was a complete mess, all of this. <laughs> but at one point, Arn hit the spine buster on the Dragon Master. Mm-hmm. Right? And we talked about Cactus Jack just getting straight up. Dragon Master, no soul, the spine buster. Yeah, yeah Dragon Master had no effect from the spine buster. Um, and then he took the DDT. Which, which did get the one, two, three, but it was really weird to see the Dragon Masters stand straight back up from the spine buster. Um, mess. Not very good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Flair eventually at the end gets out, and him and Sting are doing whatever Sting could do with his injury as the credits roll, but this this was a mess. Uh <laughs> I don't. It's, it's tough to say. Like this is poetic justice because it does suck that Sting really kind of legitimately hurt himself. But it it, it does feel kind of like poetic justice that this was such an ill-fated angle they ran, and now it's been pretty much screwed because Sting gets legitimately hurt. So, um, a couple of things at the end here, Chad. A couple of talking points. Um. One is that uh, I know Loss uh, mentioned to us that he, he really wanted us to discuss the possibility of a Muta face run at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should talk about that. And the other thing is, is this the worst show that we've done? Yeah. Covered? Uh, I mean, on the first one, that's something that we didn't, I, we didn't mention Muta when we went through our um, possible baby faces earlier. And it's just because, I mean, for me, it's because he's not around. Like, this is pretty much it for him as far as his run here. But I, I do think Muda could have been an interesting face pull. I, I, I certainly would have stepped, uh, I, I certainly would have went with the direction they went with as far as just slotting Luger in. I do think that was the right thing to do uh, when they were, you know, had their back up against the wall. But Muda is a second baby face to fight with Arn and Oli, uh, you know, kind of as a secondary face. I think that could have worked uh, pretty well, actually, as a stopgap until Sting was ready to come back. See, one of the things that I wonder about, um, and I'm just being realistic here, Chad, is that um, Muta was Japanese and I'm just wondering what president what precedent we have for the fans cheering a foreign guy for any amount of time at this time period like can you think of like Jumbo was a basically a heel in AWA right or de facto heel Uh, I mean I I just like the Orient Express were heels Fuji was a heel Sato was a heel like, you know, I, I just, um, you're asking for some pretty progressive thinking there in 1990 to make a kind of 
main Japanese, like a Japanese guy who doesn't talk a baby face. Right, but I do think Muda has as good a chance as anyone just because of his, I guess, a mystique. And the fact that, like, that handspring elbow is a spot right, that only right. does, etc. Yeah, I can, I can, I can... Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to say that, you know, if, if Muda would have turned face, you'd have had the next Hulk Hogan. But, <laughs> you know, as we'll see, the roster is pretty putrid on the face side from now. I mean, it's, it's tough because they have a lot of great match. I mean, like, Pillman and Zink. Is a good tag team. The Rock and Roll Express are a good tag team, but in that top of the line card, like up at the top of the, you know, top of the card, there's just not a whole lot there. I mean, you had the Steiners, as we'll see, you know, early January of 1991 when they tried to insert Scott Steiner into the main event picture. Uh, he wasn't ready then, so I certainly don't think he'd have been ready a year before. Uh, so it's 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 just tough. Yeah, they need more. Uh, they they actually just need more names, really, don't they? They need more, more wrestlers, or, or certainly more faces. I mean, this this is something kind of fantasy bookish, but it'd have been cool if they would have brought in Tully uh, back in as a face. I mean, do you think that could have been a possibility? Him saying like nah. he saw Sting get screwed <laughs> as a horseman. No, uh, no, he got screwed by Arn. I think Tully could have been a cool face. Come on, man. The, the most heelish heel ever being most a face. Most heelish heel ever, exactly. Those are some of the best faces when they finally turn. No, I, 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 I don't know. Like, what you thought, you, like, kind of like face Spock Winkle, like, the, like he's our heel type thing. I actually, yeah. th- I actually think the Flair was the guy who was in that kind of yeah i you do know. think flair's the best kind of he's our dude but uh but i i, I don't know i'm just spitballing but <laughs> I, I, I think I, that could be interesting i think maybe if tully came back to maybe lead the horseman against flair something like that maybe that could have been fun oh, yeah that had been cool um yeah that's i don't know I, I still think the best plan for them was face flair versus heel luger until Sting comes back from injury. Sure, but they, well, but then who? So you'd have uh, face. Yeah, but they done made their. That's the problem. They done made their bed before Sting got injured. That's. So so what what they what they do right is um keep uh turn keep Flair face but have the Horseman turn on him. So then you've got at least one kind of run with Flair on. I know you're you're asking Arn to step up to main event for a while, but I don't see any reason why they couldn't have done it for a couple of months. Um, that can be like a stopgap between Luger and Sting, say. And you could have done a like something, you know, you could have kept Muta on for a bit and done Flair Muta for a while, or you know, like there's more options on the heel side, uh, like rerun Funk Flair even. Like right. there's plenty of stuff you can do. Uh, when Flair is the face. Yeah, they just shouldn't have turned Flair heel. I think that's certainly yeah. the biggest cardinal mistake. So, uh, uh, yeah. and, then, and then about whether this is the worst show we've seen, I think, uh, to, to me it is. Because even thinking back to some of the worst shows we've watched, uh, Clash 3 was not a good show, but Sting, Barry Wyndham, I think was better than anything we saw here. 
Uh, Clash 5 is possibility, but that, that has that uh, kind of Flair steamboat segment. Yeah. You know, that's pretty memorable with Flair coming out with all the women and all that. So I do think that even puts it over the top of something like this. I do think this is the worst show we've seen. I, I can't remember Bunkhouse Stampede. No, that was a pretty... Bunkhouse Stampede is bad, but again, I would say the Wyndham Zabisco match is better than anything uh, on this show. This does have one possible saving grace, is is that whatever you think of the booking, I do think that segment is well done. I I do think the turning of of the horseman is well done. Um, Ole is particularly good in that segment. Yeah, I mean, I think if you just watched it in a vacuum, it would be fine. But I, I think, for me, I'm so frustrated by the booking that it's tough for me to get past that, you know? All right. So, should we have a quick look at some uh, some comments, Chad, before wrapping up here? Uh, well, we got to do our awards. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. There's not I, much I, for them, but yeah, God. we'll do our awards. <laughs> right. Uh, match of the night. <laughs> I'm actually, I think I'm, I've, as I was, as we were talking about the show, I had it on in the background rewatching. I do think I'd probably have to go with the Doom Steiner match. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a two and a half star match of the night. So if that tells you anything, it's the obvious uh, obvious winner for me. Right. Uh, MVP. God. Oh, yeah, this was probably the toughest one to think about. Uh, my MVP, I may go with Lauren Anderson, I think, actually. What he did in the cage match, I thought, looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he, he looked good in that segment. I don't blame him for anything that happened because he was kind of just, a, you know, a person that went with the flow, you know what I mean, as far as the booking uh, so I think I will go with Arn Anderson. That's a really light MVP because he didn't do a whole lot. I'm gonna say Ole Anderson for his uh, for his mic work in that yeah. segment. And again, this is it's a weakish pick, but right. there wasn't a whole lot going on in this show, was there? So no. Um, and uh, well, embarrassment of riches for uh, Billy Graham Award. Yeah, my Billy Graham, I'm actually going with the Samoan Savage. I thought he was dreadful in that opening match. The nerve hole pretty much guarantees you're going to be in heavy contention for my uh, least valuable player. And he, he was he was really bad in that match, so I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I, I actually think that um, Kevin Sullivan might be uh, yeah, those are... here. Because Kevin Sullivan is meant to be a guy who's good at brawls. And uh, that was one of the worst brawls I can remember seeing. So, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, you know, like, I, I think he was the one who who made it bad, too. You know, Norman is Norman. It's up to Kevin Sullivan to do something about that. So, all right. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah. Shall we have a look at some? We, we had a lot of comments on the on the last show, uh, Chad. It was the uh, it was the end of decade. Award. Um yeah, all on PWR, uh, unless there are any on place to be related places. Uh, I think it was all on PWO, so yeah. Um, so let me just uh, have a quick look. We did say we'd do uh, some uh, 
<laughs> some awards, uh, some comments. Um, do you want to uh, pick a couple of these? Was there any uh, talking points here? I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess. Again, it's, t- it's tough. We we definitely appreciate the comments. I think everybody knows that because we respond to them. Uh, I will say thank you for everybody on the last show. It did feel, in a sort of sense, a sense of accomplishment, us finished in the 80s. But, uh, I mean, Loss, of course, has great comments, as always. And one thing he said is uh, Garvin Tully from the Bash 86 commercial release as the high ranking surprised me. That was a match I had ranked... Uh, in my top 20, you had an honorable mention, and he says, that's something I need to check out. Interestingly enough, I've never really heard anything from that particular release talked up much. He's never sat down to watch Flair versus Dusty, which was actually a Brian Samick's match of the night on that show. Or if I have, it's been ages and I don't remember. So, uh, And I seem to remember some people really liking Flair Hall, but it sounds like you've been both down on the World Warriors overall. <laughs> uh, I think we have, and I do remember that Flair Hall match from Philadelphia, and I thought uh, that match was pretty bad, I thought. Uh, where if you ever want a case of Flair looking really weak versus an opponent as champion, that's kind of your template match that you could go to. And I, I, uh, I really hated uh, Hawks' attitude during that. I really hated it when, like, that's the. If I was to point to a match of like the Royal Warriors being uh, dickheads, that would be, that would be the match I'd point to. Like, just the way he behaves in that match. The thing that uh, uh, Lost talks about, and I thought this was really interesting, was the uh, was the Tommy Young stuff, uh, Chad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that was that was too. He did talk about the technicality of. Uh... I guess the difference between reaching and just touching the ropes and actually breaking the hold or getting tangled up in the ropes, which I can see a case for. I'm not going to say that it doesn't still annoy me uh, because that seems like sort of one of those technicality things. But I I do understand, I guess, that point of view. Um, is that, is that something you've ever heard before? Because uh, th- that was a real like eye opener to me. Like that is right. something that I'd always thought was just like annoy, like an annoyance um, for me. You know, mm-hmm. I'd always been bugged by it. But uh, th- th- lost explaining the difference between uh, getting tangled up in the ropes should be the breaking of the hold, and reaching out and touching them shouldn't. Uh, that was quite like. I'd be interested to know where he like. Does he have a? Does he have the official like Tommy Young referee's handbook there? Because <laughs> uh, I've never heard that from anybody else or yeah. anywhere yeah. else. And I get, I guess the other thing that we can talk about too that uh, a couple people brought up was the Piper Valentine thing. Oh yeah. And uh, I mean, I mean, it seems like most people were in agreement that they were aware of it and think it has a good reputation, but I. I, I don't I, I don't know I don't really know how to gauge this I think the match is well known you know what I mean like I think people know about the match but I guess for me it's I'm trying to think okay here's a good comparison okay if you say do I prefer Piper versus Valentine or Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from SummerSlam 1991 or even, I'll, I'll even say Bret Hart versus David Boy Smith from SummerSlam 1992. I think most people would pick the WWF matches. Whereas I know for me, for certain, I think Piper versus Valentine is a lot better match than those. 
I mean, those are very good matches. I think Piper versus Valentine is a supremely great match. Uh, a real gritty brawl type match. So that's kind of what I thought. I mean, I, that's kind of what I wanted to convey, I guess, is I, I, don't, I think the match does have a reputation. I just don't necessarily know that it has the reputation where most people think of it as a top 20 Crockett match from the 80s, which is where we both placed it as. Yeah, well, I'd be I'd be interested to know from like um, some of the place to be guys, maybe you know, uh, if you did oh. bit, if you did a bit of crowdsourcing, uh, Chad, how many of them would uh, point to Piper Valentine as a match that they, you know, heard of or was pimped? Um, that that would be the true kind of test uh, for me. Well, I know, I know, I've done some of that, some of that recon, and and again, you get a match of yeah, I know, we know about it from the first arcade. It's a good match, you know, heated match. But again, I mean, it, like the example I just used, I can almost guarantee you it'd be unanimously for the uh, for the uh, WWF matches. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, um, the 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 comments are all. Uh, there, if you if if you want to read them, we uh, we, we, that's one. Uh, speaking of place to be, that's one thing that uh, they consistently uh <laughs> do that we uh, that we're not very good at. Chad is reading out every single comment, but uh, it's just um, you know, uh, I I'm not sure if it always makes for the best uh radio, as it were. What do you, what well, do you and, and well, I think their comments are geared towards the actual show, where most of our comments are in response to stuff we say or talking points. Uh, so, for me personally, I think our comments uh, read much better than spoken. <laughs> so that's kind of why we don't necessarily uh, put a lot into it, I guess. Yeah, but um, they're certainly appreciated. I mean, I think anybody knows that. If you comment on our, I mean, I'm constantly amazed and appreciative of all the comments we get on PWO, Place to Be, all, all over. I, I love engaging people about the show. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, so so keep uh, keep writing to us. And there's a, there's so many ways to get in touch, Chad, isn't there? There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's a, is there? I don't know. <laughs> there's a... I mean, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at Pro Wrestling Only. You can find us at PlaceToBeNation.com. I mean, there there's a bevy. The main board, we we have comments there every once in a while. So yeah, we have a uh, a bevy of options. Yeah, and uh, I I should say in the in the month ahead, we should. Uh, I know we've uh, we've been a bit spotty over the past couple of months, but there should be uh, quite a few shows now back to back, which should be. be closer to like a weekly or a bi-weekly schedule hopefully yeah yeah hopefully <laughs> all right well until next time all right see you Park. bye chad fans for all of us here at wcw center stage for cowboy bill watts and the american dream dusty Rhodes. i'm jim ross saying good night everybody <laughs>